Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, Venture, it is good to be together today. Um, let me just say it's good to actually see what you look like. So that's what's yeah, so, some of you. That, uh, and we recognize we're, we're still in a transition season with this. And so, uh, you know, many of us are unmasked. Some have chosen to mask uh, with that. Some have health concerns. I, I would encourage as a church family, our, our goal all along is how do we stay together? How do we stay united in the journey? How do we love each other well in it? And so just because the mandate's been lifted, that mandate to love each other well is never lifted. And so as a church, we're committed to that together. And I just encourage you, uh, if you see someone and they're, they're doing it differently than you, show them respect and uh, show them love out of this. You may not know where they are or what their story is in it, but as followers of Christ, we come together in it. It is good to see you. It is good to see these steps. More than anything, it's good to see the numbers going down. And uh, hopefully as a country, as in worldwide, we can see uh, an end to the pandemic and move to endemic stage because of the impact it's had on so many people. Uh, I would encourage you next week, I've got a copy of Stephen Meyer's book, The Return of the God Hypothesis. I'm really excited about it. Uh, I love this stuff. And here's what I lo why I love it. As a pastor, I love when you can partner with experts who come alongside and they do what I can't do. See, I think God's revealed himself in the world. He, he said this through special revelation, through Jesus Christ and through the Bible. And so that, that's my area. That's where I went to school. That's my expertise is how do I teach that special revelation? He's also said, and we saw it in Romans 1, he's revealed himself in the world through general revelation, through the creation itself. And, and to have an expert, you know, Dr. Meyer got his PhD at Cambridge. He interacts at the top universities with the top scientists in the world. And, and can run in those circles. And what he's doing is, how does science match what God says? And, and for a lot of you, and I encourage, especially in the Bay Area, and especially younger people, and if you come from a scientific background, we've been told kind of you need to have your faith and then you have science and the two worlds can't meet. And so I love anytime you have an expert that goes, hey, let's start from the science. What is the science saying? And can speak to it in a way that many of us can't. So I'd encourage you, come next week. Uh, I know you can see a book like this, you go, whoa. He knows how to speak to a general audience. Uh, he also can tell you what's happening in the world because it's not what you're hearing. The conversations that are happening at major universities with scientists, he's having those and he can tell you about it. And so I'd encourage you, and then we'll have a question and answer time next Sunday evening from six to 7.30. And I'd encourage you to come back. You can ask him any question. And, and so this is a great opportunity. You know, we're, we're in a series where we're talking about the real issues of our day. This is a real issue, especially next generation faces, especially as they go to university, they go off with it. And, and if we aren't willing to talk about these things here, then I think we'd leave them ill-equipped for what they're facing in the future. Today, today, we're doing questions and answers based on things that you've sent in to me. And I'll just say at the outset with it, at, at some point as we answer these questions, you're probably going to be a little uncomfortable. I know I will be. 
And some of it is, it's, it's uncomfortable, especially talking about sexual issues in church uh, with it. But we need to talk about it. Some of you be uncomfortable a little bit because it's almost like you're not allowed to say anything different than the prevailing opinions today. And, and, and some have almost had an attitude of, are, are we allowed to talk about these things? We have to, everybody else is. And so we, we should. Um, at some point, as we walk through these questions, you're probably gonna disagree with something. And that's okay. That's okay, especially as we're moving into, how, how do you apply it in specific ways? Christians who love the Bible, study the Bible, who agree with the Bible, disagree on some points in it, and we'll point that out with it. Some point you might be a little bit frustrated. Um, and, and I'll just go ahead and let you know, you're probably gonna be frustrated because we're not gonna answer them all today. I'm gonna add one more week. And here's the reason I, I'm doing that is, you keep emailing me. <laughs> here's my stack so far. This is, I mean, there's probably several that came in in the last few days. And, and so as I've looked at it, I've, I've realized one of the reasons is we don't talk about it. And because we don't talk about it now that we are, there's a lot of questions around it. The, the, the second reason, and, and hear me on this, it would be easy for me to just blitz through questions and give you answers. And so should we do this? No. Should we do it? Yes. Here's what I don't want. I don't want you just to walk out of here and go, well, my pastor said that, that's it. For all these questions, as much as I can, I want to back up a little bit and go, why do we think this way? What should you wrestle with? How does God's word inform our decisions in that? And so to do that, we have to go a little bit slower than we would. So we're going to cover part of it today. And I say that at the beginning because some of you, I know how you work. You look at the sermon notes, you look at the clock, and based on where I am on the notes with the clock, you start panicking. Because you go, man, there's not much more clock, but he's got a lot of notes, okay? We're not going to cover all of them today. We'll, we'll do it today. Next week, we've got Dr. Meyer who's coming, and then in two weeks, we'll finish it out. And I promise we'll finish it out. We, we won't extend forever, but I think it's important that we take some time on this. So as we address these questions, I've kind of put them in, in different categories, summarized some of the same ones that came. Some of them are specific with it. Here's the first one. It came in a number of different ways. Can you be LGBT and be a Christian? Or put it this way, does being LGBT send you to hell? Now, some of you are going, did anybody write it that way with it? And, and most people don't state it this harshly. But, but can I say this to you? This second form of the question is how many in that community hear it. And if you tell them I'm an evangelical Christian, many of them immediately go to that posture. Oh, you think I'm going to hell because I'm gay. Now part of it, they've seen it on the news and they've seen different groups stand up with their signs and, and, and all that. And unfortunately, we get associated with all of that. But, but as you look at this and this question around it is, can, can somebody be gay and be a Christian? So maybe be trans and be a Christian in it. Does that ongoing lifestyle send them to hell? Now, let, let me reverse it. Of course it doesn't send them to hell because being straight doesn't send you to heaven, okay? <laughs> Just know that. 
in those categories. And, and, and part of this, and I think it's important why we wrestle with these issues, especially sexual issues, because this is where you really have to wrestle. What do you believe about the gospel? What, what, what do you believe about faith as it applies to some of the hardest areas in our life? As we look at it, here, here's the first thing I would say. Christ did not wait for us to clean up our lives in order to be worthy of salvation. Christ didn't wait, and, and honestly, this is what makes the gospel, this is what makes Christianity so different than any other religion. Religion. Every other religion is telling you how to clean up your life in order to be worthy of God or worthy of nirvana or worthy of whatever is else is out there. It is a plan of how to get there. Christianity is this radical plan that says <laughs> you won't get there, but Christ got there. And there's not any category of people that he's looking at that he goes, okay, they're a little bit closer than they are. Oh, they're a little less dirty than they are. In fact, all of our sins, I love what, what Paul says in Romans 5. He says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so a, a fundamental part, whether, and it doesn't matter what the issue is, it doesn't matter if it's a sexual issue, any issue in life, we've got to start, if we're people of the gospel, that we start with the fact that Christ died for us while we were still sinner in any form. Then you add to that, we are made righteous because of the work of Christ on the cross. So it's not behavior modification. It's not, okay, if I could just teach you to reform your behavior a little bit and you'll get that much better. No, we've got to start with this radical need that I have, but also the radical work of it. And we've looked at this verse several times, but I want to dive in again, because this is one of those ones I think Paul's laying out the categories and it includes some of the issues we're talking about. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's, that's a pretty long list of things that he says, this is unrighteous behavior. This is unrighteous people, people whose lives are defined by this. Now, it, it's interesting when you read through the list, our, our eyes quickly kind of go to the sexual ones. Adulterers, oh, homosexuality. We, we kind of go to those places, one, because it's pretty easy to define. You know when somebody's crossed that line. We probably don't go real quick to like greedy. Anybody here struggle with being greedy? Nobody ever admits to being greedy. Greedy is always like that category, you know, those people with it. And yet, as Paul looks at it, he goes, man, how about idolatry? You ever place anything in your life as more important than God? That's idolatry. That, that marks unrighteousness in this. As you look at this category, I love again, look how Paul defines it. He says, such were some of you. 
Now, he's not saying this just because, oh, they're all perfect, that everybody in the church in Corinth never struggles with greed again. That everybody in the church in, in Corinth never struggles with placing anything as an idol in their life. I, I mean, I, any of these things, what he's saying is, this is why you're not that person anymore. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. This is what changed you, the work of Christ. Not because you've now cleaned up your act enough that you'd be considered that. Guys, if we don't get this right, we don't get the gospel right, I'll be honest. And honestly, it's easy as church, we can teach a moralism more than we really teach gospel. The radical change that happened in our life, the radical change that happened in our identity, the radical change that makes a difference before eternity is that if you, before Christ, have embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have literally been justified. God declared you righteous and you're being sanctified. You're washed. And in his eyes, you are clean before him because of what Christ did. And it's interesting to me, it's easy for us kind of to give some people a little more grace than others. And I think part of the radical embrace that we have to have is one, recognizing there's not people that are worse than others and recognizing I'm not better than others. All of us needed this in Christ. And now you hear that and you go, well, Tim, are you just saying then, you know, we're washed and then anybody can live any way they want? No. The gospel always goes on. We have a responsibility to grow in our righteousness in Christ. And that's why when we get back in the book of Romans, that's why I'm teaching through Romans this year, because it teaches the full gospel, not just what it means to be washed, to be justified, but it also teaches what does that journey look like? How, how do I walk in this way that, that I'm embracing that? In fact, Paul, we just looked at 1 Corinthians 6 where, where he made that declaration. Just a few verses later, look what Paul says. He says, hey, you got a responsibility here. Flee from sexual immorality. Yes, Christ has washed you. Yes, you've been changed. Yes, that's your identity. Now here's your responsibility in light of that. Man, in any form you flee from it. Every other sin a person commits outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. He bought you. So it's not your decision anymore. So glorify God in your body. And so, so at, at a fundamental level, and, and again, you go, Tim, this seems pretty basic. It's so basic, we often miss it. And I think the places we miss it the most are in sexual brokenness. The place we know we need grace most, the place grace needs to be extended most is often in these areas. And the place that we've got to put that in place most is in these areas as well. And so as, as you look at that and you think about it, I would just encourage you that we've got to be honest with people about what Christ calls them to, while at the same time not setting up barriers in front of them that frankly God didn't set up in front of us. God didn't look at you, whatever your struggle is, and say, when you stop X, then you can have a relationship with Christ. No, while you were a sinner, while I was a sinner, Christ met us there. Now, as a result of what Christ did, how do I live this out? And how do we call you to live it out? 
You go, boy, that feels like a tension. Yeah, it is. But it's the full message that Christ calls to. Now, as we say this, here, here was a number of people asked this, and part of it is because you're interacting maybe with a child or, or someone you know in it. And so they say, what do you say to the person who asks, why did God make me this way? And again, many people, and if you read stories, and, and I, I'd encourage you as you read resources and you talk, many people as they struggle with these issues, they would say, I didn't choose this. I never wanted this. I've asked God to remove this. But, but if this is my orientation, this is my attraction, this is who I am, why did God make me this way? And this is probably one of the hardest questions around it. Let me just walk you through, I've had these conversations in pastoral counsel, I'll just walk you through the key points that I hold on to in it. I'd say the first one is, as image bearers of God, you're wonderfully made. Every person is an image, every person was created in the image of God. And, and starting with the fact that I don't care who they are, they're wonderfully made. I love how David puts it. He says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's wombs. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. David recognized, God, you are forming me. You uniquely made me. And so there's part of it I don't want to just like totally go, oh, well, God really wasn't responsible for that. God loves you. God loves who you are. God loves every part of you, even the parts that need to be redeemed. And, and because every person is an image bearer, again, this is a responsibility. Remember, we're doing some repair work as a church with the community at large. This is why it should never be uttered out of the mouth of a Christian derogatory terms derogatory language, hateful bullying of any community. Anybody you're talking to is an image bearer of God. And just remember that when you're attacking it and when we use words with it. Man, we should be the community. God's always called us to be the protectors, not the attackers. The protectors in that. And so the first thing I'd say to any person, yes, you're an image bearer of Christ. Now, the second thing, the impact of sin from the fall is devastating across all creation. And so when you, you think of the fall, it's not just this nice story in Genesis 3 and they ate a piece of fruit and oops, wish they wouldn't have. It literally is talking about how did the world get the way it is? How do you, you, you look at a world and this isn't the way it was supposed to be. This is a world that every part of it was impacted by sin. Look how Paul puts it in Romans 5. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all people because all sin. And so when you start looking at the manifold impact of that, guys, it impacted us physically. It impacted us mentally. It impacted us spiritually. When God looked at Adam and Eve, he says, the day you eat is the day you start dying. That death that was spread, it spread to the whole planet in a way that Romans 8 tells us, even the creation itself groans to be redeemed. Even the world knows this, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And the impact of it, 
It impacted us physically and our bodies. It impacts our brains. It impacts impairment. It impacts addiction. I mean, I, mean, I can start going through all these categories in that. That if I, if I want to go to one category that I go, how did this happen in the world? It all goes back to sin. And you go, well, okay, that might be a nice little, I, I'm just telling you, that's what explains why we wrestle with what we wrestle with. The third thing I'd say in this, though, is God has allowed this in your life to display his good work in you. God has allowed this in your life. So I, I don't want to, because we're living a little bit in the mystery between sovereignty and human free will, between God's in control of everything, but at the same part of it, we've been impacted by our choices and not just our choices, the choices of our forebear, Adam. But in that, for any individual person, you look at it and you go, okay, maybe that's why, but man, why am I still wrestling with this, especially when I don't want this in my life? There's a hard passage. We kind of skip over it because it's such a long story. But if you go to John chapter nine, there was a blind man. Notice the disciples, as he, as he passed by, Jesus saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, it's a telling question, isn't it? He, he's blind. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. There's an impairment here. But in their culture, because it's not the way it's supposed to be, one of them did something wrong. And there was actually a thought that this baby, this soul, did something wrong. That's why it was born blind. Or, and this was usually the case that most people would say, if they saw someone that had an impairment, the culture of that day was, well, their parents did something wrong. Their parents sinned. And this is how God's punishing them for their parents' sin. Wouldn't that be hard to live under? And yet, I would say when it comes to this issue... There's a lot of parents, if their child is gay, if their child is trans, if they, they're Christians in the church, man, the parents immediately feel, and, and a lot of it, the church placed on them as well, man, what did we do wrong? In fact, a, a, lot, a lot of parents, that's their first question sometimes with me is, man, we thought we were doing everything we knew to do. They were raised here, they knew this. And for a while, the church kind of had one narrative that, okay, if a child's gay, then it must be the father's fault if it's a son, it's the mother's fault. And then, guys, there can be contributing factors. Remember I told you a couple of weeks ago, there's not one story. And so anytime we try to oversimplify it in that way, we usually cause more damage. And I've known a lot of families, man, the kid looks you in the eye and goes, I couldn't have had better parents. I couldn't have had godlier parents. I couldn't have had more investment in my life. And I still struggle with this. So, so before we just guilt trip parents in it. Now, if you're here and you go, yeah, my, my child is struggling in this or my child has come out with me. There may be a part that you have to look at it. And we have to do this for parents no matter what the issue is then we have to own our part that we go, you know, I probably could have done X better. And there may be a place where you have to go own that before God and ask for his forgiveness. But hear me on this. If you allow your shame over this to drive you, 
you're not going to parent well now. And I've seen parents, they get so ashamed over it, they kind of do one of two things. I've seen some, they get ashamed, and so they almost start jettisoning everything they believed about the Bible because they so want to connect with the kid now. And you just watch them on this journey that you go, whoa. I mean, this was somebody that I, I thought you would, you would have agreed with me on all these truths and now totally walked away. I've seen the other side of it too. I've seen parents who they hold on to the truth, but kind of in their shame over it, they end up rejecting the kid. And they create a wedge there. And it does real damage out of it. And, and so here, here's what I would just encourage you at this point. If you're living in that, there's a place where you feel guilt of it. Man, this is the beauty of Christianity. Anything we feel guilty over, we have a place to actually take it. And he says, if you confess your sins, he loves forgiving. He, he loves healing. And then it allows you to walk in the strength of that healing and forgiveness instead of overreacting to your guilt out of it. So as we do this, notice they, they said, who did this? And Jesus said, it was not that the man sinned or his parents, it's neither one of them. Stop trying to blame. But then he makes this really hard statement, guys. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. That God wants to do something in his life that is really unique, that's going to bring God glory, that, that God is in control of. And so God has a, allowed this in his life because God wants to do something through that. Now, if you read the rest of the story, we know what the something is. God heals him of his blindness. But if you just stop it at that point, that's still a hard statement. And you go, yeah, but Jesus, that's a lot of years of blindness and pain and hard. And Jesus said, yes, but God's going to use even this in their life. He'll do his good work in it. As a result of it, for many, God has chosen not to remove this area of suffering from you. And so you, you've prayed about it, you've sought him in it, you've asked for healing in it. Now, as I told you, over the last few weeks, for some people, God heals this. And I absolutely believe in God's healing in it. And so for those that will tell you no one's ever walked away from it, guys, I've got story after story of person and resource and people I can point you to. And so don't buy that. Don't buy that narrative that God can't or he won't. But here's the other side of the narrative. He doesn't always. And it's not because the person didn't want it enough or didn't pray enough. I never put that on the person. I, I, it's the same thing with healing. Man, I've seen God heal people from cancer. I've seen God heal people from unbelievable things. And I've also seen other people that God has chosen not to heal them. And it's not based on the faith of the person. So let's stop beating up suffering people and trust as we step back and go, okay, God, what are you doing in this? 
Paul describes it in his life. He says, so to keep me from being conceited because of this surpassing greatness of revelation, he got to see these higher heaven revelations. A thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Paul has this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is. Some thought it was demonic oppression. Some think he had trouble with his eyes. It was a physical thing. Some think it's a personal struggle in his life. He, he doesn't tell us what it is. And he prays three times. He says, God, remove it. God, remove it. God, remove it. And if anybody should have the hotline to God, it should be Paul, shouldn't it? I mean, literally, he's planning churches all over the planet. He's written more of the New Testament than anybody else. And yet when he went to God, God said, actually, no. I'm not taking this away. Because I'm going to do something in the weakness that I couldn't have done otherwise. And, and I think this is important as, as we look at this, that as God who's chosen not to do this. You know, one of the authors I've read is a guy named uh, Wesley Hill. He's written a book, Washed and Waiting, because he describes himself like that 1 Corinthians 6 passage. And, and he would say, I'm, I'm celibate. I've chosen a celibate lifestyle because God has not changed my same-sex attraction. He's not changed those things. L listen what he writes in it. He said, I think we need to have an approach to ministry that allows for a long-term sense of waiting and enduring something that we wish were otherwise for me, for example, there are many ways which I don't feel that I'm made for celibacy. I mean, it often leads to loneliness, to difficulty. The natural impulse of a pastor is to want to say to that person who is suffering, let me make this better. Let's fix this condition of celibacy so that it's not painful anymore. He said, I think it comes from good motivation, but the most helpful pastors and people in my life have recognized that there are some situations that people find themselves in that you can't fix. So the pastoral or personal strategy then becomes not how do we rescue this person out of this terrible condition, but how do we help this person flourish and find love in the way that God's made them. Man, that, that, that is powerful truth. And you know why it's powerful? It's one thing for me to speak that truth. It's another thing for Wesley to speak it, living it in what God's called him to. And so as we say that, that, the next point I would say is you have to trust his goodness and his plan for you. If this is your struggle, I've got to believe that as a good God, he has a good plan for your life. Would not be the plan I would have chosen. In fact, if I were God, I probably would want to intervene very quickly. Not just on this issue, but any suffering I see. But I'm not God. I don't have the ability, as Paul says, we know that for those who love God, all things literally work together for good. All things. Every area of your life works together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And, and this, again, comes back to fundamentally, what do we believe faith-wise? Do we believe what Christ calls people to do is truly 
the best life. And I think when it comes to an issue, when somebody goes, yeah, but if you're saying that I've got to embrace that, that I can't get married, that I can't take those steps, honestly, a part of me is like, oh man, can't we figure out a way around it? I love the words of Sam Alberry. Again, he's a pastor, a man, struggled with same-sex attraction all his life, has embraced a celibate life as a result of it. Listen to Sam's words. Sam's one of the best writers on this, by the way, because he speaks so much out of his life. He says, homosexuality is an issue I've grappled with my entire Christian life. There have been all sorts of ups and downs. This battle has not been devoid of blessings, as Paul discovered with his own unyielding thorn in the flesh. Struggling with sexuality has been an opportunity to experience more of God's grace rather than less. But over the last couple of years, I've felt increasingly concerned when it comes to our gay friends and family members. Many of us Bible-believing Christians are losing confidence in the gospel. We're not always convinced that it really is the good news for gay people. We're not always sure that we can really expect them to live by what the Bible says. It is simply not possible to argue for gay relationships from the Bible. God's word is in fact clear. The Bible consistently prohibits any sexual activity outside of marriage. And then he turns it personal. He says, as someone who experiences homosexual feelings, this is not always an easy word to hear. There have been times of acute temptation and longing, times when I've been in love. But I've learned that what we give up for Jesus does not compare to what he gives back. For me, these include a wonderful depth of friendship God has given me with many brothers and sisters, the opportunity of singleness, the privilege of wide-ranging ministry, the community of a wonderful church family. But greater than any of these things is the opportunity, and hear these words, he said, to learn the all-sufficiency of Christ. He said, my main point is this, the moment you think following Jesus will be a poor deal for someone, you call Jesus a liar. Discipleship is not always easy. Leaving anything cherished behind is profoundly hard, but Jesus is always worth it. Now, again, those are powerful words, and it's one thing for me to say them, it's another thing to hear them from him. But you need to hear from these voices in the community in it. I think the final thing is you have to believe in eternity and God's plan to reward sacrifice greatly. You got to believe in eternity. Part of our problem is we don't have a good theology of eternity. We don't recognize rewards. We don't live for it as much as we say we live for it. And so when I look at somebody that I know this is going to produce a harder path of discipleship, a harder path of sacrifice that frankly I'm not facing, you know, one of the things that I rest back in though is God knows and God rewards. And they have an opportunity both to know Jesus in a way I don't know because they get to know him in the same way that Jesus is a single man who sacrificed as well in this, they can identify with Christ in a way that I have not had that opportunity to. And they will be rewarded. You know, when it talks about that day when the first shall be last and the last shall be first, I, I think many of the last on that day are gonna be people out of these categories who have faithfully followed Jesus Christ in their life and they've not been celebrated enough on this side of eternity. Because we've been so scared of the issue, we don't talk about it. 
and we don't embrace and we don't come alongside brothers and sisters in Christ who are living radical sacrifice. And I'm talking to both homosexual and heterosexual single adults who've lived this out. I love how Paul puts it. He says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time. It is suffering in this present time, but it doesn't compare to the glory that's gonna be revealed. That every time it's hard, I recognize, oh, it's gonna be that much better. It's gonna be that much more. Do one more question here real quick. So how do I respond as a parent if my child says they identify? And and I I would say, especially, I'm hearing from many of you, you have elementary kids. And and unfortunately, this is so getting indoctrinated in the schools. Um, There's a radical push within the schools to indoctrinate, not just on this issue, but all issues sexually. That we're introducing these issues to kids at an age when they don't even have the the complexity to, to process it, but it's being forced on them. And as parents, you're living in that in many cases. And here's the hard part about it. There's an agenda to remove parents out of the equation. So it's how do we get to the kids so that the parents can't be a part of the equation. And, and one of the things I love though is I love to see how the church responds. There's a movement happening in our church right now. There's different parents coming forward going, okay, how do we resource with each other? How do we connect with that? And part of my commitment as your pastor in this is, this isn't just a sermon series, this is a movement of how do we together resource you? And so over the next weeks, you're gonna hear, hey, here's groups that are coming together. We've got different experts that we can bring in to help you as a parent to walk through different parts of that. Especially if you've got those younger kids who are frankly, they're just confused. They're just confused. And they've been confused by culture, determined to confuse them because then they want to move in the space on it. Now, what if you have like an adult child? This isn't just a little child. This is a child that's come to this or teenager that's come to this with this. I, I would just say, first of all, listen, listen, listen. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. Just listen to them. Listen to what they're thinking. Listen to their story. Your words in those moments, you probably don't have words yet. So silence will always aid you if you don't know what to say. And and, and so in this part of it, just create a a place where, where they can be heard. Doesn't mean you agree, but you hear them. The second thing I'd say is this, express your love and your support as God's grace bearer and truth teller in their life. Every parent, you are a grace bearer and you're a truth teller. That's fundamental to your role. You're establishing a culture in your home of is, does grace mark this place? And am I bringing that grace? Well, at the same time, do we align our lives to truth? And, and that's always, that's the tension you feel in that moment of, okay, I want to speak the truth immediately. Here's what I'd encourage you, lead with grace, because that's what God does. God always leads with grace. He never undercuts truth. He never shies away from truth, but he's always quick to lead with grace. And, and, and not on this issue, but any issue as a parent, when you have a child, a struggling child that, that they're I mean, you're wrestling with the issue. Here's a question that, that we often ask ourselves, and I'll ask myself in this. Okay, God, will you give me the ability to love this child in this moment the way you love me? 
Will you give me the ability to lead in this the way you've done this in my life? And you'll recognize that, that he leads with grace toward us. And so I'd encourage you in that as much as possible as you think about how do I extend grace in this moment? How do we establish a culture of grace? While at the same time, man, I am supposed to stand and speak for truth. As you do this, recognize there's going to be a tension between how you each define your identity and your belief. So, so here's the hard part. If you as a Christian, you go, hey, Tim, I agree with every sermon you've said. I agree with what the Bible says. I'm basing my stand off of this. And then they come forward in this. You're at a tension point with your child. And this is what makes it so hard in parenting. None of us want to be in tension like this with our children especially over core issues of identity and belief. Now for them, especially here's how the culture defines it. The culture has said, hey, if you have this attraction, if you have this desire, this is who you are. Their identity is built off of it. This is why, by the way, often the church over the years has said, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner. You know what they hear when you say that? Hate the sinner. Because they're not identifying their behavior as sin. They're identifying their behavior as their identity. I am gay. This is who I am. Now, you probably don't identify yourself as that way. That's probably not your governing thought when you, you said, oh, if I said, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself, probably the first thing you don't say is, well, I'm heterosexual. <laughs> and, and so this is part of the rub in this of, of a core thing. And so as they come, and, and this is where the tension is always, uh, often comes, is unless you accept this, unless you agree with this, we can't have relationship. Now, can I say that's a two-way street, by the way, though? Because as well, we are people who our identity is based on Jesus Christ, and it's based on what God's word says about us. And so in the same way that, that someone says, hey, unless you agree with this, we could make the same claim and say, well, unless you agree with the Bible, you can't accept me because my whole identity is based on the Bible and you don't accept the Bible. See, here, here's the clash and in that tension of it. And I, and I think as we recognize that, you're gonna have to decide together, can we love each other and even accept each other without agreeing with each other? And the reason this is so hard today is our culture is determined that you can't do this unless you agree. On everything, by the way. Unless you agree about COVID, unless you agree about politics, unless you agree about, unless you agree, we can't have relationship. That's the teaching of the culture. By the way, that's the last point in Romans 1 when a culture breaks down. That you treat each other this way. And so at a fundamental place, what you've got to determine as a family is we're going to have this fundamental disagreement. You, you define life this way. We define life this way. You're defining it based on an identity that you've braced in it. We're defining it based on what we see scripture teaching. That's not going to change. We're going to live in this tension. So, so how do we love each other in that tension? And how do we live in that? And I would just challenge you, if you're a parent, I believe you're called to love them and to live in that tension. 
You are the unique grace bearer and truth teller in their life that God's placed over. And it will be sacrificial and it will be hard. I'll just say in my years of pastoral ministry, I've never seen it just turn out well when a parent just shuts them off based on this issue. And, and, and so I just, I, I would say, how do you move in into the messiness of the grace while at the same time not sacrificing the truth? And it doesn't always work out that way because it's a two-way street, remember? They may look at you and say, unless you embrace this truth that I'm saying, we can't have a relationship. And I understand that. The, the, the flip side of it, you need to look at them and go, well, you're asking me to change my identity now. You're asking me to change who I am because my life is built on this. So can we come to this at least and recognize we both are building our lives on something. How do we build relationship while disagreeing over this fundamental truth? I wish I had one size fits all prescription. Like I could go, well, man, if you just do this, Every story is a little bit different. And, and while we're at this, could we do this for each other? Could we extend each other a little grace on how people are handling it? That you look at it and you go, well, I wouldn't have done that. You don't know. You're not in it. And so part of the grace of being a church family is coming alongside. In fact, I would say with this, find support from the church and other parents who are walking this journey together. One of the things I've so appreciated, different ones of you have come forward and you say, man, we are walking through this right now. I'd love to meet with any other parents who are struggling with this. I'd love to be a resource for anybody. And so you need to know you're not alone in this. And, and so I'd encourage you, uh, if you have questions, ideas, you want to find some of those names of parents and support groups around it, just send it in to infoadventure.cc. If you've got a question around it, if you need somebody to come alongside, you're with that. Or if you want to look on our help page on a number of the things that are there as well. Now, here's the next big set of questions, and I've got a bunch of these. Do I use pronouns for someone who transitions? Should I attend a gay wedding? Should I allow a gay couple to stay in my home overnight? And we'll address these in two weeks. I know, you like a little hook to make you come back there, you like that? I know some of you are going, oh, that's the question I want answered. Well, of course it is. Hey guys, as, as much as I wanna dive in these things, it is so fundamental that we get the gospel right first. If we don't have a gospel foundation, we have nothing to work off of. All it becomes is opinion in that. I want to take a moment and I'm going to close this in prayer and uh, then the worship team will come out. We'll, we'll finish with one more song. Father, we do thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that uh, your word speaks to these things. I'll just confess some of those verses, even when I read them again, they're hard in places. You didn't design this to make us feel good. You designed this to set us free. You designed this for eternity. You designed this according to who you are and your character. God, there's a mystery of this that is beyond us, but there's a clarity in this that should guide us. 
Lord, I pray, would you use words today that if they were misspoken or they didn't represent you well, would you erase them from people's minds? And Lord, where your word is speaking, where your spirit is convicting, I pray that we wouldn't just walk out of here and shake it off, but we would listen well to what you're doing in our lives and what you're doing in our church. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.